This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome on today's episode. We got Hans Podge. He is a artist who creates science and art together to create wellness and health and everyone to reach their ultimate high performance life in who they are. Hello, welcome to the show, Hans. How are you doing today? I'm very, very well, and thank you for having me on your on your amazing show, Aaron. It's an honor. You know, Hans, you and I met there probably a year ago, but probably you don't sound American. Where are you from? So I, I grew up in, in Drumconrath in, in County Meath, I guess a very fertile county in Ireland. Wow. And what was life growing up in, in Meath at that time? We moved as a family from Germany in, in 1962. So it was magic to grow up on a, on a farm in, in the heart of County Meath. Of course, as a young guy, you want to get out of it as quickly as possible. But but as an older guy reflecting back, it was probably a, a wonderful way to establish a good, healthy foundation, both in mind and in body and even in spirit. It's interesting how when we're young, we want to run out of home and where we have, find home. But when we are old and wise, we want to go back to our home, you know. I think it's a natural sort of cycle in life. What did I say? If, if teenagers weren't teenagers, you know, and rebelled against their parents, they'd never leave home. And I'm sure the parents wouldn't want that. <laughs> they want their teenagers to leave. <laughs> you and I have conversations and on the different masterminds we're on together. You seem a wealth of knowledge, but where did that curiosity of knowledge come from? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I think we're all naturally curious. I just like to know how things work. You know, I mean, obviously people say, you know, if you, if you wake up in the morning and you're not confused, you're doing something wrong. So I live in a state of constant confusion. 
I, I think we want to maximize our potential in life, and and uh, and it's it's there it's there with the knowledge that goes before us, and we would do well to stand on the shoulders of the people before us. You know, you can't as somebody once said. Learn from the experts. You never have enough time to figure it out on your own. So, does that answer your question? It does, and it's interesting how we want to find experts, but at the end of the day, we're our, we're our own expert of ourselves. Well, I think we intuitively know what what turns us on. I think uh, you talked about this guy before, this Paul Tillich, and the three anxieties, and especially the the anxiety that is guilt. The guilt around thinking that we are not living to our full potential that we have inside of us, that innate potential. And yeah, but we do have to educate, which is lead out. We do have to need. We do need our mentors. We do need the wise people that that have gone through it. I, I joke now. I am not young enough or specialized enough to know everything. So I I want to learn and keep an open mind because there's a lot of stuff that we don't know, and there's a lot of stuff that we don't know that we don't know. And I think that's why we're so curious because we we want to know what we want to know, but we don't want to know what we don't don't want to know. It's a coping mechanism too. Denial is not just a river in Egypt. It's it's a form of coping. And Hans, when you were a young guy on the planet, were you curious about life, or were you just uh, curious about just getting done and getting girlfriends and all that kind of stuff? All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people, you know, from from your teenage years into your into your late twenties, early thirties, are the most challenging time in your life you've got hormones racing you've got hearts broken you're trying to find your purpose uh, and, and you're trying to figure out what is all what what does it all mean but there's a lot of you know, confusion at that time of life and if you make it through that then into your 30s hopefully it, it, it becomes sort of much more clearer in a land of milk and honey I still have vivid memories of primary school in Drumconnath, uh, going to secondary school in Omis and Kagilao, and then going through through university in Trinity, all of all of which sort of are ingrained to the extent that I will still have maybe once or twice a year, well, maybe not every year, but nightmares about not being totally unprepared for your exams. <laughs> so I think I, I'm very grateful that my mother and father moved to Ireland in the 60s. It gave us a particularly Irish perspective on life, which is really an amazing perspective. Ah, sure, it's okay. Don't take life too seriously. You'll never get out of it alive, you know. Were you alive at the time when your parents moved into Ireland? It was 1962, so I was, uh, I was going on six, six going on seven. And I remember having to leave our little snow sled at home, and then the first year it snowed like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> My mother said, ah, there'll be no snow. <laughs> It doesn't snow in Ireland. It's too. It's too temperate. And there, 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 we we were we were making you know makeshift sleds to to play in the snow. So what did your parents do? My mother was a sort of a radiology nurse, and my father had a wholesale uh, grocery business in Fashion, which is just outside Cologne. And the idea was that they would that my father would supply that particular shop back in in Germany with products that they would grow on the farm and make on the farm. Did you help your dad in producing in the farm as well? I worked on the farm, milked cows, brought in hay. You know, did did whatever we needed to do. And actually, that's another another thing that I that I was surprised about. You know, when I came to America, the amount of people that are suffering from allergies because when I was young, I ate dirt, so it developed a particularly good immune system. And the, and, and there's a lot of research coming out now, especially around the microbiome that shows that the children that live around livestock have a much healthier microbiome, you know? Yeah. And probably working on the farm, your, your dad, you probably came to the conclusion of passion of having nature and farm and food and science, right? 
I always tell people, you know, it's where we come from, the dirt, and it's where we're going to go back to. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so digging it maybe every now and again. And there's, there's all this forest bathing um, science out of, out of Japan that you probably know about and, and all this grounding science. But yeah, we, we, we do well to connect with nature. I think that's a lot of the, lot of the sort of existential stress in big city living is just not enough green. You know, there's not enough time to be in it, benefit from it. That's what we need, nature and grass, because it brings us back to our ground and center. Absolutely. And, you know, you've got you've got lots of green there in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, not called, it's not called Emerald Isle for nothing. <laughs> All that rain. That's what I remember. I remember so the first year in Dublin, we, we rented a little uh, room, my brother and I, from a lady in north of Dublin. And, and we brought a heater with us from home because it was damnably damp and cold. But at night... If you got into bed, you could only stay in one place because you only had enough body heat to warm up that damp area in the bed. And if you if you took your uh, took your finger and rubbed it down the wall, these sort of rivers of damp would run down the wall. I swore then I wasn't going to grow old and cold in the damp. <laughs> so those are sort of biting memories of that wonderful climate you guys have. You know, it's, you miss the heat and the sunshine, but yet dampness is your your friend in this in this country. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you got to embrace it, I tell you. You got to embrace it. <laughs> you went to Trinity. What did you go study? I went in to study physics, and then I took a degree in in physical chemistry, and then did a PhD in X-ray crystallography. So it was the it was the permanent student. So I went in '73, and I guess in '93, 20 years later, was my first real job. So it was it was a, a nice journey of, of constant education and being the student. And why those areas? It was something I, I gravitated to. I, I loved the I loved the physics at secondary school, and and then when I got to to Trinity, um, it was more the people in the in the chemistry department that attracted I was attracted to. But I I, I didn't like that much organic chemistry because it's more for me it was more of a learning a number of recipes, and the physical chemistry seemed a little bit more more structured. And then crystallography, of course, was when it really got interesting because then in my final year, we did a senior year project, did a few x-ray photographs of crystals. And, and that sort of turned me on to doing the, the work as a, you know, doing the PhD in x-ray structure analysis. And then it got really, really exciting and, you know, when I went to Berlin as an EMBO fellow to study proteins because that's where you're looking at the molecules of life. And that's, that's really when it started. Up until then, it's, it's always a question, what the hell am I doing here? Will it ever be useful? <laughs> you know, this esoteric thing that you're studying. And then in 93, it was, got really, really very exciting because uh, one of the pioneers in what was then called and now called still structure-based drug design, where you take protein structures and you provide the chemists with a picture of the molecules that are targeting their, their drugs against, uh, that, that was really exciting. To be able to to have the opportunity to apply an esoteric, what seems like an esoteric discipline to the benefit of human beings is, is, a, is a very meaningful thing. It's interesting how science is esoteric and then yes, we become fascinated of proteins and molecules at the same time. Yeah, and I think there's a great editorial in science that I should actually give you someday, uh, Aaron, that talks about, you know, uh, like 1971, the editor talked about what is the scientific principle or what, what, what is it that makes people sort of addicted to it. And, and, and it's a community effort. They're all, you know, we're all chasing, you know, the, the answer to a particular question. 
And one of the interesting things is a, a character is a guy called Peter Medawar, who is the father of transplantation science. And he is something he said something that I think is applicable to all of us. He said, with respect to your science, you need to be humble because your experiments are going to fail. But with respect to your fellow man, you've got to be very haughty because you cannot afford to be laughed out of a good idea. I like this because that's life. You know, you have to be humble and yet you have to be keeping your ideas close to yourself because you get burnt by them if they don't work out, you know? The first trap is believing your own hype. <laughs> it's, it's, down, it's downhill from there. So you need to be humble. And again, it, it comes back to something that I, I've seen over the last 11 years, and it's been around all the time. There's an arrogance or there's an ignorance that is inspired by an arrogance of knowing it all. I mean, I think the last really well-rounded individual was Leonardo da Vinci, uh, you know, many years ago, artists and scientists and whatever. But now we're at a place where we really, we can't really grasp the totality. We've got to specialize. And the danger is that as we specialize in one thing, we think we're expert in everything else, especially like in, in your area, the sports, the sport area. We look at a golfer who's great and we think he has the answer to the universe. That's why they endorse so many different things. They're looking, you know, the advertising agent uh, industry wants them to endorse this, that, and the other. We got to guard against that particular ignorance. Why did you go to Berlin? I did a short postdoc in Edinburgh, and a friend of mine there, who's now the head of the structural biology department, he turned me on to the protein work and suggested that I apply for an EMBO or an Humboldt fellowship. So I applied for both, and the EMBO came through first. So I went to study protein work, protein crystallography at the Free University in Berlin from 83 to beginning of 86. And then that same friend came by again in 85 on his way down to Switzerland, where he was going to set up a group of structure at Sandoz, was publishing a paper with Dr. Zenger. And he saw a, an advertisement for a position at the Scripps Research Institute and said, Hans, you this might be of interest to you. So he was responsible for moving moving me to the other part of the world, <laughs> to San Diego. So, you know, it, it, it's good it's good uh, to pay attention to people when they, when people that, you, that love you or care about you have a signpost and say, you might consider looking. It usually is good to look. And of course the universe will provide if only you're open enough to accept what it's providing. And were you looking for a job at that time? Well, to me, it was it was more of a, an extension of of my education. I really wanted very much to learn how to do the atomic structures of proteins. I know I'd learned how to do them with small molecules, uh, but that life didn't seem too interesting because it would be more sort of supplying chemists' validation for what compounds it made. The, the the protein work sounded much more interesting because, as I said, it, they they are the molecules of life, and they have much more of a an insight into the whole structure biology, the biology, the living processes. And the first, actually, the first protein structure that I did when I moved to Scripps uh, was a uh, protein called human superoxide dismutase, which is a required enzyme that all aerobes need uh, to uh, to take care of the toxic byproducts of oxygen metabolism. And actually, in, in that presentation that I gave you by Mark Bartlett, he actually references a, a knockout mouse experiment where you knock out the mitochondrial superoxide dismutase. And basically, the young mice pups, they die within about four hours. And it's like the equivalent of being inside a nuclear reactor because you're creating so much free radicals that, that the tissue just can't deal with that kind of damage. Does that make sense at all? 
it makes complete sense. You wouldn't think a little protein like that could have huge amounts of power in us, you know? Well, it, 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 it's, it, I was talking today, um, we have a very deconstructionist approach to science. It's, it's natural from the way in the Western world we have sort of learned about, you know, medical and biological science. We take things apart and then we try to piece them together so we can understand them. It's like a very mechanistic approach. You take a watch apart, you put it back together again, you understand the function of the watch. Though that kind of taking apart is really has its background in the medical sciences in pathology, you know, cutting up dead people. And, and also, I think in our medical sciences, we try to enumerate all the biomarkers that are out there. And then we believe that maybe, you know, when we put it all together again, we have an understanding of the whole. But sometimes I believe that the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And that we in the West, we sort of really can't see the wood for the trees. We see too many trees, we can't see the wood. Whereas in Eastern medical traditions, they really talk about homeostasis and balance and look at what keeps the living human being living. And if you marry both together, it sort of gives a more, much more balanced approach. I think even the, the whole magical discipline, which has been going on now for 10 years or more of systems biology, where you're trying to map all of the processes, but there's an interplay between everything that, that obviously uh, also has got to be understood. I mean, I hope, hope that makes sense. It was a, a bit of a diversion, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a miracle machine. I mean, I, it's a machine that understands complexity, our human body. And, and the trick, as I said today, is to die young as late in life as possible. Probably as a young adult in the world, looking through a microscope and seeing the, the power that proteins have in our body, you must have been awed and amazed how, how little, little enzyme in our body can be so powerful. Yeah, and, and my, my friend who introduced me to it, sort of, he, he put it well. Because all of the tertiary structure, you know, the, the shape of alpha helices and the shape of the sheets that are sort of make up the tertiary structure of a protein, they're all held together by very weak interactions called hydrogen bonds. A lot of the people when they're talking about uh, changing the structure of, the, of, of water, they're actually changing not the structure of the molecule, but they're changing the structure of the hydrogen bonding network. Those weak forces all together, you know, you think of, think of Gulliver and on Gulliver's travels being tied down by the Lilliputians, by all these little, these little threads, but they kept them in place. Just like, likewise, the proteins are kept in place and they're shaped by these weak hydrogen bonds. And my friend said, if there is a God, it's the hydrogen. Or, or, as, or, as, or as Albert Stengorgi, who got his Nobel Prize for the discovery of vitamin C, that biochemist, said, life is water dancing to the tune of solids. Get your head around that, Aaron. That's a mind-boggler. Yeah. 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 I wonder what young Hans is thinking about when he's, he's looking at all of this amazing science and he's at his pinnacle of, of what he's going to be doing later in life. You, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, there, you know, you, you, you get on a treadmill, you, you, you decide a path, I want to know how to do structure, and you just keep on going with that particular goal in mind to know how to do protein structure. Every now and again, you ask yourself, what, what is it going to lead to? And which is a good question. But I think the, the deciding on the purpose will lead you to the result. And so the decision to understand how to do atomic structures and determine atomic structures of proteins then led me on to my first job in 93 with a company that was based on that technology, structure-based drug design. 
And then that be that became very exciting because it had a practical application in the medical arena, in the drug discovery arena for that particular technology and, and what I was good at doing. And, and you know, I feel incredibly grateful that, you know, through no act of design by myself, no 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 year plan, but just, you know, deciding on what to do and continuing to do the steps to get to, to that knowledge brought me to, to a company that sort of um, was, a, was amazing to work for. And then, of course, they were acquired by Pfizer in 2000. And then I stayed with them until 2009, till I was released into the world of unemployment in 2009 to another part of my life, which brought me to actually to meet you, which is um, was also a magical day, Aaron. I wonder what it would be like if your friend hadn't said, Hans, here is a place to go to and you took it. What direction would you take instead? I probably would have ended up in some, some university in, 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 in Ireland or in the UK you know, doing doing structures for chemists. And that would have felt more like punching the clock. I mean, I'm sure it would have been equally exciting. You, you can't know, that, I mean, it, but it's a great question now, the what if. I, I tell people, follow your passion. I mean, really, if, if, if you do what you love and you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. It's criminal to have a life where you're punching your clock. You're waiting for the retirement to be able to do what you want. And a lot of people live like that. I mean, I have been incredibly privileged and I've not had to do that. My PhD supervisor, her husband said, Hans always does what he wants to do anyway. Which is really, I mean, it, it may be egotistical, it may be narcissistic, but I don't see any reason why we shouldn't follow our passion doesn't make it any easier. You still have the, the Paul Tillich, those existential anxieties to deal with, you know. <laughs> Life is still a mystery, but it's a mystery to be lived and not to be solved, as some wise person once said. And how does it feel losing losing a job that you spent so many years into? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't so much the job that sort of, um, that I felt sort of grief for. It was the, the, the ability to play with the people that I played science with for so long, because these are brilliant people. They're much cleverer than I. And to be able to be a part of that kind of high level research. I mean, if you think of most of the, most of the real research is done in the pharmaceutical industry and you know, they spend a heck of a lot of money. So when people tell me they spend 20 billion or 20 million on something, I mean, you know, the Pfizer budget research and development budget was 7 billion and I think 8 billion when I left. That's a huge amount of money. I mean, only the industry, the auto industry spends more, you know, on, on building new plants and, you know, building new, new cars or maybe they spend as much. So that, that I think I regretted the most losing those those connections because even going back and trying to stay connected with them they're, they're much too busy to give you the time of day so um i stayed connected with a, with a number of them but in, in general there you know you and this is what happens actually to to men more so than women is is we when we are what we do and when we stop doing who the hell are we you know there's a, there's a statistic in america that the highest suicide rate in america are for men in their 70s the highest divorce rate are for couples in their 60s and the average retired american male watches nine hours of tv per day which i think is grounds for divorce and suicide right in itself especially looking at the tv you have here yeah yeah but but, but that, that's because men men have a social structure that's tied to their work but remember when I was working the little golf I played. I mean, I still played golf, which I, you know, but I play a little bit more now. And that, that, that's a social structure that I had built so I could go into that when I retired. 
for most people they it, it's it's i mean even just normal retirement is a scary scary thing from for many people it's not important what you retire from only to the extent that have you have you managed to save enough yeah to not you know run out to have more life than money at the end of your life but what's important is what you're retiring to like the like that ikigai concept that the japanese have which is reason to get up in the morning do you have a reason to get up in the morning yeah why is what's your burning why you know exactly i mean people are really tired i mean when you when, when you're a kid everyone wants to everyone keeps asking you what do you want to be when you grow up i don't know <laughs> i'm not the lucky one percent that knows genetically what they want to be i'm finding it out what do you want to be when you grow up but it, it's always that burning question you know what what and, and the why shifts and it comes back to that that third anxiety that paul tillich talks about which is you know the, the anxiety of of am i living up to my true potential am i living with all i could be yeah are we living up to our true potential are we just snoozing on by and i think that's the question we all need to ask and you got some amazing quotes. You must have an incredible memory to memorize all these facts and figures and quotes and people. <laughs> I've been told that, but it doesn't. It, it doesn't seem that difficult. It's like you. You got an amazing ability to 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 be a, an athlete. You know, uh, um, which I which I couldn't do. But but you know, so I can't explain how I how I do it. It's just it just is ingrained there. If it means something to you, you'll probably remember it. You know, I, I I really love George Bernard Shaw's quote, and I paraphrase that. You know, the true joy in life is to be thoroughly used up when you're done. You know, in a, in in an enterprise that's bigger than yourself, and not like a little little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining why the universe isn't solely devoted to making you happy. That's the true joy in life. And I, and I and I and I feel that if we find that you know that big thing that's bigger than ourselves that we can attach to, people will tell you you're crazy. But if you're not if you're not crazy, if your friends don't call you crazy, you know, back to Peter Medawar, you're not really pushing the limits of your potential because you're always going to be called crazy. There's always the crabs in the bucket. You know, there's always somebody going to say no. You can't. Uh, people who love you will try to protect you because they think you're going out in a limb and they don't want you to be disappointed. Yeah. You know? Have you found your passion and your joy? Yeah, I live it. I live it every day. We are happy to the extent that we are of service to others. At least that's what I believe. So it, it's you know there's a Jim Rohn who's a famous um, you know business philosopher. He says find a way to serve the many because service to many leads to greatness. Or that old that old saying from JFK, which when I was 18, I said, what what are you what are you talking about? You know, he said, you know, that's not what your country what can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And I'm thinking, my country can do for me right now. I need something right now. <laughs> But as we grow older, it means a different thing. You know, as somebody once said to me, you don't ever read the same book twice. You're not reading the same book twice. You're reading a different book because you're a different person the second time you read it. It just means something different. Yeah, it's like you watch the same movie twice. You pick up a different angle of the movie that you hadn't seen the first time. Exactly. You're tuned, you're, you're, you're tuned to different things because there's different priorities in your head. I feel very privileged. I think we all are very privileged that have an education. I don't necessarily like the concept of you know giving back. I didn't take anything. <laughs> What am I giving back? 
But I do like the concept of service. And remember from from that that wonderful miniseries that HBO did of a of a book by David McCullough on the biography of John Adams. So John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were the North and the South Pole of the American Revolution. And here's an interesting fact: they died on the same day. Not only the same day, but the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Oh. Is that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. John was going off to, to the Continental Congress to, to vote on the Declaration of Independence and, and his wife Abigail, who was, who was his rock really, said, it's all great for you guys. <laughs> you landed people, male, you talk about freedom. What about us women and blacks? When is that going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is really, a, 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 it, it, sounds, it sounds sort of trivial, but it's really important because it underlies the fact is, as she's Abigail says, how can you consider yourselves free if there are other people that are still enslaved? How can we today as a society individually consider ourselves safe and free when there are other people struggling for existence? And this particular crisis now is pushing that to the limit, Aaron. The haves and the have-nots. And I don't want to go into politics. I, I, I don't understand enough about it to have an opinion. That's what is is driving this ugly political drama, which is the have-nots and the haves have two different perspectives. Yeah, I, I think that's it. It's the yin and yang effect, you know? Yeah. Do you feel now that you have your time to do what you want to do? You get to play golf, you get to meet people, you get to do what you want to do, but yes, you're you're free of your own to your own time comparing to before you're working to a nine to five kind of job. Well, it was never a nine to five hour. Research a postdoc probably works about eighty hours a week. There's there's a sort of a drive, there's an addiction to getting a project finished, to getting something done. So I never considered a nine to five. I'm just driven by a different goal now, because really my, my goal and my vision uh, is to right-size the whole sick care industry and to build, with the help of many, many good people in sick care and healthcare, the true healthcare system to help our nation and our species heal. And that's, and that, that, that's a, a big, hairy, audacious goal. Uh, but that keeps me going every day to talk, one, to talk to one other person about, are you really nourished? Or are you just stuffing your face or feeding your cravings? Because really, if you look at the, at the, you know, we all have, the United Nations has declared seven human rights. And I love them. You know, we have a right to our body. We have a right to, to move around. I would say now, let's talk about all the human responsibilities that come with those rights. If we're not taking care of ourselves, we're not taking care of the public body. Because we're all part of that whole, which, you know, we call the universe. We are not separate from it. So we have a responsibility to it. I mean, if you look at what's happening happening in, in America now or around the world with COVID, the people that are coming down, there are there are huge risk factors that are really attached to crap diet in general, cardiovascular metabolic diseases. With all of the with all of the work that's being done on 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 prevention and lockdowns, you know, I I, I I've yet to see any anyone talk about what are the legislations or what are the things that we can do as a society to eat right and keep fit so that we can deal with the stuff because the, the good news and the bad news is the good news or the bad news is you're going to die you're going to get sick that's a fact <laughs> the good news is the trajectory to your final resting place and the path of your recovery is really under your control but you need to have the information and the information is simple you eat right you keep fit you live long you'll die quick very simple 
your big audacious goal do you feel a frustrated or b like i'm going to take this on and achieve based on what's the ground of people eating and how they look after themselves i mean i sometimes i raise my voice and and my dear wife says you know calm down it's all will happen so to call the, the frustration the frustration is is There's a wonderful, wonderful quote I heard recently by a guy called John Hagelin talking about is consciousness the, the, the unified field? And he said there will always be skeptics like Galileo's who refuse to look through the telescope. That would be my only frustration. There are none so blind as those who will not see, because that may not cost me much, but it will cost them more. You know, and and finding but it's a challenge back to me and how to how, how to how to massage the message, how to ask the questions. Will I be successful by the time I exit? I don't know, but I can tell you one thing that the tsunami of wellness is building and has been building and will continue to build and it will be continued to build driven by the disastrous and bankrupting costs of sick care, period. It's, I mean, everyone says it's about money. Yeah, it's about money. You know, money isn't everything, but it ranks right up there with oxygen, according to Ziegler. So let's not underestimate it and let's not let's not bad mouth it. It's very happy for people to say I don't I'm not motivated by money but most of them are are taken care of. <laughs> yeah. They don't have any money worries. Yeah. It's, it's it's easy to say that when you don't have any money worries. But for the majority of people finding way to make ends meet that's a big concern, you know. Sounds like a, a monster of challenge to take on. No, it's not. I don't think it's a big monster at all, Aaron, because remember You, you never do it on your own and, and never underestimate the power of a small group of people to change the world. It's the only thing it ever has. You have a message. If there's a message, if there's a message that's a res- that's attached to your why, yeah, and it resonates strong enough, other people will have the same resonant frequency. It's like that. Remember that, 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 uh, that little video, the leadership lessons from the dancing guy? Yes. That's it. It's, it's very simple. <laughs> In five seconds or five minutes, you get to see a movement created because the underlying thing has to be simple. It's very simple. How do you eat? How do you know you're nourished? That's it. Are you truly nourished? Start with there. And and we are not nourished, neither in body, mind, or in spirit. We are fed, but we're not nourished. So I don't I don't I don't like the, the food bank feeding. No, I don't I don't care about feeding. I care about is that person nourished? And how can we quickly and easily determine that our that our nation and our species and our friends are truly giving their body what it needs? Because you know, you know what your body needs, and you're giving it because you're a high level high level athlete. You better have all systems being provided for, mm. yeah? yeah. And you make sure that you do that. But you're in the minority. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is feeling fine, Aaron, <laughs> and they feel fine right up to their heart attack. Because nobody cares enough because it really is a health is a very personal thing you know I, i tell people you know like life is like golf on the golf course if you give unsolicited advice you have to assess yourself a two-stroke penalty <laughs> in life you give the same unsolicited advice will get you kicked in the teeth or punched in the mouth <laughs> you know what i mean yeah so so your health 
is or my health is none of your business until I get sick. And then please give it back to me for free. That's that's really the way it is. It's such a simple com- concept. We make it so complicated, you know. I, I, I played with an 84-year-old retired researcher today. I met on, on the golf course that I walked. He and I, we walked the five miles on the golf course. He pushed his cart. I carried my bag, you know. And he, in, in, you know, at 84, he's still walking and playing a great, fantastic game of golf. Yeah, and I and he said to me too. You know, it's simple. We just make it difficult. Or as, as I say, there's there's two lessons from God that can be applied to life. Shit will happen, and two, when shit happens, try not to make it worse. Where did the love of golf come? You know, <clears throat> I still remember back in Ireland at school because you and I we were both schooled by the Rasminians. There was Minion Brothers of Charity. They had a school in Omeath, uh, outside Omeath, uh, Carlingford Lock. And and uh, the Dean of Discipline, Father Horney, who's now passed, unfortunately, he was he was he moved shortly after I left. He moved to Caracas, Venezuela. A magnificent and magnificent priest uh, and brother. He and I, we built a nine-hole golf course together in the in the mountain behind the it takes it the Moore Mountains at the Cooley Mountains behind the school. And, and I still remember my my seven iron. My seven iron was my favorite club, you know. And the rain that would soak the leather handle and it would slip in your hand, and all kinds of stuff would happen. But yeah, that's where my love of golf came from. And also because it, it is a it is that metaphor for life. It really, I mean, it it is. There's nothing as frustrating as knowing what you need to do, and all of a sudden the whole thing falls apart. I always tell if you have children, teach them how to play golf early in life. Because first of all, it will teach them how to discipline their disappointments. And secondly, it will teach them respect for the planet because you've got to fix your divots. I, I tell my, my wife, I've done enough gardening back back in Eclair that, that, that now my idea of gardening is fixing divots on the pudding green. That's my idea of gardening. Put enough weeds in my life. But, uh, but then it also teaches you respect for the people behind you and that play with you. You're not going to take five hours over a putt. I always tell people, if you're going to miss, miss it. Quick already, you know, <laughs> please. So, and, and that's, I don't know, I, I think it's, people call it the greatest game. It's, it's a magnificent game. And also what it is, is I think the only game that I know of where you're truly responsible yourself. You're responsible for keeping your score. You and you alone know whether you've tapped your ball and you assess yourself, you have to assess yourself another stroke, yeah? So it's keeping you honest, it's keeping you honest as well. So it's amazing when people cheat at golf, you wonder who actually are they really cheating? What does, it, what does it say about their approach and perspective on life? And very rarely do you meet someone on the golf course that is a person you wouldn't want to play with. Because it, again, it, 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 is a, it is a game that very filters very quickly. The people that are, that are, that are short-tempered and frustrated, they just, won't, they just won't hang around. When you're on the golf course, it's like living like life where people lose their temper, it's patience. You really like life's playground of, of learning. Yeah, and then the shortest German joke a friend of mine says about the game is, oh, I got this. (laughs) 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 It's it's true, Aaron. It's like the golf gods kick you in the teeth. Do not get too full of yourself. It will make you humble. And with all the clubs you use, which is your common uh, club you use to play the game? The favorite club is probably the seven or the six iron. It sort of goes back and forth. And I reduced the number of clubs in my bag so I don't get confused. 
you don't want to have too many choices, Aaron, in life. So you I take the secret. You take the seminar. You know, there's a there's a game a book called God's Sacred Journey by and I think I probably talked about this before on one of our calls uh, by a guy called David Cook. He's a PhD educator and he says. See it, feel it, trust it. You see the shot you're going to make. You see it, you have to visualize. You feel the shot you're going to take by the club choice that you're making. And then you turn off your brain and you trust it. You do not second guess because doubt is a killer. If you doubt, you're screwed. I mean, you really are. You see it, feel it, trust it. And a friend of mine says, see it, feel it, trust it, fuck it up. <laughs> That's usually <laughs> It is so true. That's life, you know. <laughs> it, it, it is. It, it's a metaphor for life. I, I call it a daily journey into the dark side of self. <laughs> oh, you know, I think in playing golf, you get out, you you walk around, you you are able to find life and longevity in life in the sense of you're you're out there having fun, chatting to people, and just enjoying life on the green and in a sport you love. Yeah, and and I I would say also I am grateful that I didn't run marathons in my youth. I didn't love contact sports in my youth. Played rugby and got knocked around and got injuries right, left, and centre. I really subscribe to 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 the Mark Twain moderation in everything, including moderation. So now at 65, to not have aches and pains like my friends had because they played contact sports, you know, and like to get in there in the dirty. Uh, you know, it really is. You know, be gentle with it because it's going to last you for all of your life. So I'm hoping, touching wood, that I will I will walk and carry into my 80s and into my 90s. That's that's the goal. Now I could get hit by a bus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's always that, Aaron. But we have to have some kind of goal, which is then also attached to behavioral goals, which are the most important things for us to do is to, is to stick with the behavior. What do you mean? Well, you know, people always go out, outcome goals. I need, to, I need to lose 15 pounds. Well, you know, why don't you start with one simple thing you can do that you didn't do yesterday that you can do every day. So, for instance, in, in COVID, everyone's complaining about putting on weight. In COVID, I've lost weight. I've lost fat and built muscle simply because, you know, three or four months ago, I had this epiphany that we have a garden. Uh, 60 rounds of the garden is 88 flights of stairs, yeah, and two and a half miles. So if I do that once a day, at least once a week, if not twice a week, yeah, mm. that's a behavior. And once you get into the behavior and you measure the benefits of that behavior, it, it is a self-encouraging process. So when I do not get to do it, I feel I'm bad, yeah? It keeps me compliant rather than saying, oh, I need to lose 15 pounds. So I've lost, you know, in the, in the 60 day or the 90 days, I've gone down 2% in body fat. I've gone up 2% in lean muscle, which is not nothing for you because you're a high-powered athlete, but it is significant for me. On the Omron scale, I've lost two years of my body age. So I'm actually, my body age now is, is 42. I started at 44. And my visceral fat is down to a healthy number of seven. It's because I just made the commitment to the behavior. Is walking around the garden, is that your form of meditation? That as well. I, I, I take my I only take my iPhone with me and leave it in my back pocket to measure my steps. But it's, it is a form of meditation. I just There's no music in my ears. It's just uh, the garden, the steps and me. Now, I'm, I'm lucky most people don't have that. You know, most people don't have that. But, but for COVID, I would never have done it. You know, I mean, I work in the garden a few times a week. Yeah. But I would never, I would never have thought about, you know, if it wasn't for lockdown, I would never have thought of, oh, hell, I could just walk around it. 
It's interesting how COVID has an effect on people, good or bad, and it sounds like it has a good effect on you. We decide in the morning what kind of day we're going to have. <laughs> I mean, really, if we can do, yeah, and, and jo, Joanne talks about this in the morning too. Take the time to get into the, into the life after you wake up, into the day, you know, slumber a little bit, you know, and gratitude, gratitude is happiness. Enumerate what you're grateful for. Now, there are times when the manure hits the fan, <laughs> which is what I say, shit's gonna happen. And when it, when it does, try not to make it worse. There are things that are going to throw us out of balance, that throw me out of balance. I mean, there's a thing now on my, on my phone that is, that is nagging in the back of my head that's throwing me out of balance and I have to pull myself back to say, ah, you know, it is what it is. So the universe is designed to throw you out of balance and the, and the, the secret is to stay centered. So it has a harder time pushing you. It comes back to what you were saying, the yin and the yang, the pro and the con, you know, that's what it is about, you know, the balance, homeostasis. How do you maintain? And here's a nice little example. I was talking to Mark Bartlett. I think he may have mentioned it on that call. Is, is, is the immune system needs a balance. If, if I am taking the analogy, if I, if I push you, you're pushing back, yeah? which is probably what the immune system is pushing on the infection. Okay? But once the infection goes, or once if I, I let go, you're going to fall to me. You understand what I mean? Yeah. That's not what, that, that cannot happen because you're overreacting. You're not, you're not staying in balance. And that, for instance, with COVID, with that cytokine storm, is the immune system pushing. And when the infection goes, it keeps pushing, you know, mm. because it has lost that balance. The ability for the mediators of the immune system to stay in perfect balance and to, you know, ease on back. Does that make any sense? It makes complete sense. And I think in that example that you gave, I feel that we as humans can use that example to increase our own health and performance to live way longer than we think we can. Yeah, and we that's the plan. Yeah, yeah, we have all the answers, you know. We've got to ask the right questions, though, Aaron. We've got to find, as you, as, as you said, as, as a young man, as a young guy in Ireland, I didn't know shit. <laughs> I mean, really. As my, my wife always says, it's not programmed into your genes, the information, but, but having an inquiring mind and a love of life. I mean, it, it, it is, for all its, for all its frustrations, it, it, is a, it is, it can be, and, and is a, it, it's a magical existence. I mean, I, I know there's a guy on my Facebook thread who's a chronic depressive guy. When I empathize, I don't, I mean, what is it, you know, they say misery loves company. The only problem is the company is miserable. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to hear you complain. I mean, do you want to hear me complain? Do you have time for me to complain, Aaron? No. Yeah? yeah, no. And I don't have any time either. And that doesn't mean I want, to, I want to hear about your happy fantasy that you're living. But I do want to hear what's exciting in your life and what excites you, what turns you on. What's your purpose? What's the why? Because if our why is aligned, well, then we have a resonance, a potential to, to, to make magic happen together. I think we're all walking around partially excited because we don't know what excites us until we hit that red button and we become really excited and passionate. I love it, and, and, and that's a, it's, a, it's a great it's a great podcast that you're putting together. Partially excited, so partially excited to get fully excited, you know. Yeah, it's like the half full, <clears throat> half empty, you know. Yeah, yeah. but I've, I've I've taken up a lot of your time, and you know, we as Irish, we could keep on talking forever, Alan. But I <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's about the life, universe, and everything. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a good story, and you're you're 
there's one thing about you, Hans, and I, I've kind of stumbled across is that you have a mind full of knowledge, but yes, you present yourself like I know nothing. And I, I think that when you hang around with this guy, you, you realize that I don't know half of the shit that I should know. And when you hang around him, you always learn something with Hans. And I think if someone could actually meet you on the street and ask you for one piece of advice, what would it be? Live your dream. Find your dream and live your dream. I mean, it, it, it sounds it sounds very, very, very U.S., very American, or very Disney. Remember what, what Disney said, you know, that old song? When your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. Wow. I mean, it's, it's all been said. To, to say something new about the human condition is incredibly difficult, Aaron. <laughs> It's all been said. We just have to find who said it. I mean, the, the, the poets of my youth were Dylan and, and Leonard Cohen. I, I love their lyrics. And Cohen is a, is a past now, but magnificent poet. And the Irish have a great tradition of poetry. Poetry is like the highest form of literature. I would also tell people read because you cannot, I'm told, you cannot think thoughts higher than your vocabulary. That's interesting. It makes sense because that's the level of knowledge and experience you've developed. And also be, because feelings and emotions are difficult to express in words, if you don't have the vocabulary, we will always resort to the four-letter word, which tells us nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it tells us nothing about how you feel. <laughs> is, is, there, is there a particular book that you love reading all the time or are you just like just catching the book and open it and see what happens and read? I, I love I love what you said. I, I like I like the serendipity, you know, the, the 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 synchronicity, which is all around us according to Carl Jung. We just need to see it. So I, I like just opening a book. There are there are books that I've half read. I love reading the executive summary. I, I think what I would probably like to read again. I mean, I think it's not an easy read, but what I but I but what I keep keep on my bedside table is this: full catastrophe living. And the title comes from Zorba the Greek when the young English guy asks Zorba, you know, have you ever been married? And Zorba says, married, children, grandchildren, mortgage, house, bank accounts, the full catastrophe. So we've got to embrace the full catastrophe that is life in a meaningful and mindful way. Yeah. And if you could have a dinner with someone or a, a pint with someone, who would it be? You know, I would love to have a pint with a guy called J.D. Bernal. And you might even like this book called J.D. Bernal's Sage of Science. He is the father of our field of structure biology. He's a, an Irish Jew who went to uh, college in the 1418 war and fully expected to come out and die in the trenches. But the war ended before he, before he left. He was also very much involved in planning the D-Day invasion. An amazing, amazing sage of science. He actually he founded Birkbeck College, and he's the only Picasso mural in England was in was painted by Picasso when he visited him up in Birkbeck College on the top floor where he had his rooms. May I mean, you would love to read that book because the twenties, the twenties were a particularly exciting time. You know, we think we're young and it's all we, we, we've invented everything, but the twenties into the early thirties, those were those were really, really amazing times for for the human evolution, just like the sixties. And if you could go back into a time period, what would be your time? The twenty, the twenties. Yeah, I would, I would, I would definitely, you know, something, something simpler. Sin cities and three sin cities, <laughs> Shanghai, Shanghai, Berlin, and Paris. 
in the 20s. And that's when my grandmother went after the First World War. She went with her with her husband to, to Berlin and spent most of the most of the years, even through the Second World War, years in Berlin. And I think got out when the Russians had moved in or, you know, was was there when the Russians moved in. The German women were 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 tasked to pay for the sins of their of their menfolk what they committed in, in Russia. It's, you know, it's called karma. You do shit, the shit comes back to you. You pay for it. And there's a great film called uh, A German Woman that if you ever have a chance to see it, oh, yeah. will, will give you a good idea of what it was like. Yeah. I mean, there was, it, was, it was probably no worse than what the Germans did going into Russia. And they were just getting payback. Yeah. yeah. Science is continuously evolving, but I'd say it would be cool to be back in the 20s and 30s with the likes of the light bulb just coming out, you know, Einstein and Newton having arguments. And that must have been a really cool time. I'd say that's another reason why I'd like to go back to visit the 20s, you know. We are what we think, feel, eat, and what we put into our surroundings. And Bauhaus, the whole architecture, the whole Brücke movement in, in, in art and film and architecture was huge. It's just, it's just an amazing time. Even from, from you know, Brücke was back into the, into the teens, the whole movement of expressionism how it informed the way we look at, you know, the old Peter Lorre movies. I mean, that was, uh, what is it, Ufa, Berlin, the other studios. Marlene Dietrich, that was just, just amazing, not only in science, but also in the arts. It was just amazing. But I would say that we are now even living in a more amazing time because we are now living in the century of big life science discoveries. The last century was the century of big physics. We learned how to blow ourselves up and atomize ourselves with the atomic bomb. <laughs> now we're actually understanding more about what it is that helps us direct health and aging. And we have, there was a thing this morning on, on, on the nature that I put onto my Facebook page where they're looking to map all the connections, the connectome in the brain, which would be one, one exabyte, one billion billion bytes of data. Talk about big data. I mean, there's a, the, the, the uh, what was it, two years ago, maybe last year. And this is relevant to people who are trying to make a living and make a living and a life. Uh, the Bloomberg TV interviewed Chase Bank's analysts for their top 10 choices for the next disruptive industries. Their top choice was batteries. because That's going to disrupt, if, you know, efficient battery power will disrupt a huge industry. Yeah. Their second choice was anti-aging medicine. Now, for me, anti-aging medicine is wellness and prevention. It's just called anti-aging because it's sexy, yeah? Mm -hmm. And their number fourth choice was big data and sick care. Oh, wow. So those in number two and number four is where I have taken a position. And the, the world has some form of disability in the world and we're all looking to have the ability. But if there was one aspect of the world that you could have influence to change, what would it be? An open mind. A willingness to entertain a thought that is uncomfortable. I, I would say that the, the, the disability is, is the ignorance, because, because ignorance is a huge and powerful tyranny that's been used for many decades and many centuries. I mean, Luther, with his partisan movement, you know, was, was trying to fight ignorance. Because at that stage, only the priests were allowed to read the Bible. Books used to be banned and burned because information is power. So if I would, if I would ask anyone, is just keep an open mind. Because I, you know, somebody once said, we all think that we're thinking, but really all we're doing is rearranging our prejudices. 
Yeah. And if people want to get in touch with you or find out more, where, where can they go? I have a Facebook page called Reset Aging with Science. And there, I think, is my email and my contact information. And thank you so much for coming on to the show and sharing your time, knowledge and story. Well, thank you, Aaron, for having me and for putting up and letting me, letting me wax lyrical for so long. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.